really excited to be here. I'm a little jittery today, you know, uh, so, but let's do it. Let's do it. It's going to be a good time. Um, we're going to be wrapping up this sermon series on the, on the promises. Um, and, and, you know, you may be so relieved to say, thanks goodness, you know, keeping your promises is finally over. Because I've been, we've been going through different areas of our lives um, that tie us to a responsibility personally with God of stewardship and generosity, things like time, money, our family, okay? And although you may have this ownership mentality when it comes to these things, it's my time, my money, my family. I don't think God minds that so much, but he does want us to not forget that ultimately he is the owner of these things in your life. He is the one that's provided them for you. Therefore, he would hope that you would act upon these things with a heart of generosity and all of it. Amen? Today, we're going to wrap things up and finish the series talking about with your promise of service. That's why we all got these sweaters on and we play the video of Andrew and you may be saying like, why is every, where's my sweater, man? Why, you know? You know, and, and, and you, you also may think about serving and say, Moises, listen, I was here a few weeks ago and you were, you were talking about service a few weeks ago. And it, it is one of those things that I do believe that is part of our DNA as believers. Amen? Proverbs 29, 18 says, When people don't accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. The King's James Version says, Where there's no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. I love reading that. Sometimes it doesn't work out that smooth, but... I never want us in this church to lose sight that we are being called to do the things that God has called us to do, to serve this church and serve people of this community. And you say, Moses, that sounds so redundant. We believe in this thing called the Nehemiah principle in this place. It took Nehemiah 52 days to build the wall. And halfway through, the Bible says that the people got discouraged and it caused Nehemiah to re-engage the people in order to get them back on track on building the wall. Teaching us that we should reinstate our purpose and our mission as people, as a church. About every 26 days, about every 30 days, we need a reminder as people of what we're being called to do, what our purpose is, and what our mission is. All right? Repeating things over and over in fresh ways is, is, is known as this thing called creative redundancy. That's my job, okay? I got to get up here and be redundant, but do it in a creative way. Tell you the same things over and over and over again. Amen? The Bible doesn't change, but it's, it's, it's our way of, of presenting it. Talk to my wife. She's heard these things over and over for many years. Because... Most of the time, what you have in the church is a group of people who constantly need a reminder, a reminder of their talents, their abilities in God. Because, frankly, we're very good at the areas we're good at, but we're also very good at forgetting. We find ways to be overpowered by our circumstances and completely forget the many abilities that we have been given by God how special we are, how unique we are, how God has placed us in that season for that moment. 
constantly glancing at our God, but staring at our circumstances, not allowing ourselves to, to fully operate in the gifting that God has given us. You have been gifted with abilities that no one else will be able to match. There will not be another individual that will ever speak like you, worship like you, do the things that you're able to do. There's no one in this room like this guy. That's a good thing and a bad thing, okay? We are unique and valuable to God in our own way. You have to believe this. You must sit here today and say to yourself, I am unique. God has created me like no other. There are abilities and giftings that I have personally that are, are completely different. We're not talking about better or worse. We're talking about uniqueness. How you are a unique individual created by God for a purpose, for a mission. Amen? So God obviously leaves and put this value inside all of us. And then we would assume that God didn't just do it just to do it. That there was an intent behind this idea of creating you to be this unique individual that you are today. So what do you think God expects out of something so valuable? so unique, so specific. Um, we're going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 25 as we look at this parable of the talents. And, and, and I'm going to read the entire thing. The guys in the back were giving me a hard time. Dude, so much scripture. Yeah, right? Why would we read the Bible all the time? That's weird. <clears throat> we're going to read the whole thing. If you don't have your Bibles with you, I have it up on the screen. Um, Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30, we're going to read the whole thing. Not in the King James translation, though, because that will be difficult. Um, here we go. The Bible says, again, the kingdom of heaven could be illustrated by the story of a man going, to a long, going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while they, he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the, to the last, dividing it in, por in proportion to their abilities. He then left on, on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with the two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Bad guy. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used this money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate. The servant who had received two bags of silver, came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Man, words we never want to hear. If you knew I harvested crops 
I didn't plant, and I gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit the money, my money, in the bank? At least, I, at least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do, not, who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amazing. A very familiar story that many of us, if we've been around the church circle, have heard before. Um, but the term talent was first used as a term for weight. It would measure about 75 pounds or so. Then it, it became this thing that was measuring currency and money. The parable of the talents is warning us here as we're looking at it that our place and service in heaven will depend on our faithfulness and service here on earth. What talent? What is talents? Talents is abilities, time, resources, opportunities to serve God and others while we're here on earth. The things that we do, how we utilize that uniqueness that's been planted inside all of us. God has entrusted all of us these things and he expects us to use them and apply these gifts in the wisest possible way so that Christ can have a good return on his investment. And you say, Moises, what investment? You are an investment of God. You are so valuable to God that he died for you. Not just for the people around you, for you. You know, if you want to hear a selfish, a selfish message today, this is it. Because this one's about you. It's all about you. So much so that God focuses on the one that the entire chapter of Luke chapter 15 gives us three parables that show the importance of not only the one, but finding the one and focusing on not losing that one. It talks about the, pa the parable of the lost sheep, the, the lost coin, the lost son, all parables directed to the importance of the one individual how precious they are, how unique they are, how important they are to God. How is God's focus that not one will perish? Making it clear to all of us that we carry this unique value that is practically irreplaceable. You may say, everyone is replaceable, Moises. That does not seem to be the way the kingdom of God operates. Will everybody, will the job get done? Yes, the job will get done. God will accomplish the work that he set forth to do. Of course, I, I get that. But this does not mean that we lose our value as individuals for what he's invested in all of us and what he's created you to be in purpose. Amen? How much do you think you're truly worth as an individual, as a human being? An article in the Journal of Hospital Practice calculated how much each of the enzymes and hormones and all the different things that are in your body are worth. You know what that value came out to be? $6,015.44. Specific. I don't know what was worth $15.44 in your body, okay? But apparently they were running a two-for-one that day or something. But you're practically a $6 million man or woman. You're valuable. The article also estimated that if you calculate the cost of creating each cell in your body, it will be about $6,000 trillion. 
Don't sit here and tell me you're not worth anything. Don't sit here and tell me this morning that there's no value to your life. But instead, be reminded of your abilities to make a difference this morning. Understand that you have been gifted to make a difference for a mission in this world. I'm going to remind you of three simple things this morning. Number one, you were created to serve God. It says that he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. So God has entrusted us with something. There is something. You may not know what it is, but God has decided to entrust you with something. This was the plan from the beginning of your creation. Based on this story, we see a God that steps back, goes on a long trip, but he leaves us with some work to do according to the abilities we have. You're just not this bystanding member of the church, of the body of Christ that gets to just bystand and let every, no, you're unique to God and it should be your top priority to decide what is it that you're calling me to do, God. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we could do the good things he planted for us long ago, Okay. The good thing that is talking about here is our service. What service? Our service to others, which equates to service to God, okay? God told Jeremiah, before I made you in your mother's womb, I chose you. Do you believe that? Before you were born, I set you apart for a special work. I always tell my, my dad was this visionary, this spiritual visionary. My dad is the kind of guy that says these bold statements that throw you out of place, you know? You know, he walked into my house this for, for Thanksgiving and he yells, peace be in this home, you know? You're like, okay, dad, nice to see you too, you know? So, but, but he would see me and, and I was, I, he was pastoring a church. I was a little boy and something as simple as like, I would crawl every time he was done preaching, I would crawl up and see and like to play on the stage, on the altar, okay, back then, <laughs> He would, he would, and my dad was like, this boy's going to be a preacher one day, you know? And everybody's like, okay, dad, you know? But he was like that visionary. He would speak these things over everything, you know? I, I knew it all along, you know? And, 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 and the question is not whether you have anything, but instead is what will you do with what you have? Let's get over the idea that your value is nothing. We've obviously understood this morning so far that you are valuable and unique at something for God that is personal and unique to you that no one else in this room could replace. So it's not whether you have anything to give, it's what will you do with what you do have to give. You were placed on this planet for a special assignment and God has entrusted you with this. You're either going to be careless with those things that God has entrusted you with, or you're going to step up to the plate and say, God gave it to me. Therefore, I am more than ready to steward it. Not own it, steward it. The Bible says in verse 15, dividing it in portions to their abilities. Right? So what you may have may not be the same thing the other person has because God is just giving out to each one according to their abilities for his own purpose and what he's trying to do. Why is this? Let's jump to number two. You were saved to serve God. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, it is he who saved us and shows us from his holy work 
not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan long before the world began, to show his love and kindness to us through Christ. God redeemed us so we could carry out his holy work. We are not saved by service, but we are saved to serve. Amen? In the kingdom of God, you have a place, a purpose, a role, a function to fulfill. And this gives your life great significance. But we have such a hard time undervaluing our salvation. We say to ourselves, the salvation is for eternity. Therefore, I'm going to sit around and wait for heaven. And we sit around and just wait for more goodness and more richness of this whole thing. It cost Jesus his entire life. The Bible says God paid a great price for you. So use your body to honor God. And is that what we do today? Or are we just getting up in the morning praying and hoping that the day goes well? And you say, Moises, this feels like I owe God something. Well, we do. Let's just get that out there. Okay, however, however, we don't serve God out of guilt or fear or even duty, but instead we do it out of joy and deep gratitude for what he has already done for us. Amen? We owe him our lives though. Don't forget it. Because through this salvation, our past has been forgiven, our present is giving meaning, and our future is secure. But when we hear people talk about ministry and doing service to God, we think of pastors, priests, professional clergies. But God says that even a member of his family is a minister. In the Bible, the word servant and minister are synonyms. Just like the word service and ministry. If you're a Christian, you're a minister. And if you're serving, you're ministering. Okay? Peter had a sick mother-in-law. You know what she did as soon as Jesus heals her in Luke chapter 4? The Bible says that she instantly stood up and began to serve Jesus. She was using her new gift of heal, healness or whatever, and started serving right in the spot. Literally, it's the weirdest story ever. Hey, you're, he you're healed. She gets up and starts serving and cooking. It's insane. Using her gift of a new health to serve. Not serving undermines the value of our salvation. It's double dipping to a whole nother level. We're blessed so that we could be a blessing. We are saved to serve, not to sit around and wait for heaven. If you're in the room today and on this earth, it is because God has a ministry for you in his church and a mission for you around the world. I can't help you if you don't believe that though. If you sit here today and say, not me. I'm not that special. You're a $6 million man. <laughs> you know, these first two I just mentioned are default settings where we're created and we, we're saved. The next one is a command, the last one. You, were, you are called, commanded to serve God. Matthew 20, 27 to 28 says, actually just 20, 27. Or 28, one of the two verses. This is one of those. You'll know what I'm talking about. What does it say up there? 28. <laughs> I messed it up, Kevin. You told me, don't say it, voices. Just remember, it's verse 28. I'm like, I got it, I got it. All right. <laughs> it says, your attitude must be like my own. For I, the, the Messiah, did not come to serve, but to, 
did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as ransom for many. And there's no small service to God, friends. It all matters. Some will be visible service, others behind the scenes, but they are all valuable to God. I don't think you take in consideration all that happens, even in a small scenario like this. You watch the video from Andrew and how he's doing this and doing that, grabbing the chairs, doing that. There's all these kinds of service happening, and it all matters to God. Think of it this way. What is the most valuable light you have in your home? The most valuable light you have at home may not be that chandelier you have in the living room or in the dining room, okay? You know what the most valuable light is in the home that I have? The one I plug on the wall so I don't destroy my toes when I get up in the middle of the night and Bash's toys are laying everywhere, right? But you walk into my house and you're like, oh, that's a beautiful light. Well, that's not the most important light in here. It's the same is true for our service to God. You may be waiting, it's like, this guy, man, what he does is amazing. Well, the guy behind the scenes doing the other stuff is just as important. We shouldn't weigh those things out because ultimately it's all a service to God. In our service to God, there is no correlation between size and significance. Every ministry matters because we are all dependent on each other to function. Any good leader will tell you, Ricky will tell you, man, I know I lead, okay? But I need this guy, and I need this guy. And it's so much better when that guy is there, okay? We all understand this. Today, thousands of local churches are dying because of Christians who are unwilling to serve. They sit on the sidelines as spectators, and the body of God suffers because of it. Because they refuse to say, this has anything to do with me. I have nothing to do with this. And this has become such an overwhelming concept to a lot of us. And you say, I know you want me to do it, Moises, but it's too much. You know what I remember? I remember recommitting my life to Christ when I was like 18 years old, okay? I have this moment in my life where I was in church, a pastor's kid, a pastor's kid, and I hit 14 and I went crazy, okay? And from 14 to about 15, you would thought I, from 14 to 18, you thought I lived 30 more years in that time span because of everything that happens. I mean, story after story after story. At the age of 18, I had this moment where I kind of reconnected my life to God. And, you know, we, we, we started to seek God here in this community. And it, it, we were in Charlotte at the time. And it, it just began to happen. And it was so heavy in my heart. But you know what I started doing? As soon as I got back into church, I started working hard. I remember I was, I was dating this one girl, not Rosie, this other girl, okay? This is bad. I should have probably not bring this up. I, I needed to bring this up when she was like volunteering or something, the kids. Um, but the girl literally left me because I was spending too much time at church. She literally said to me, listen, you, you're going to church too much. This is crazy. And it was because I was just like a young adult, just, just going and, and, you know, being at every event and doing this and doing that. And when you're doing the purpose of God, guess what? And the things that God has called you to do, if, if it, makes, it makes heavy work feel light. You know, when I'm in the spirit and I'm writing a sermon, and I'm studying and God is dropping these nuggets in my heart, I could be 10 hours straight. It doesn't feel heavy. 
I come in here and serve and do what I do because when you're doing what God is calling you to do, you do it and you do it with joy. Moises, stop smiling. I can't. I won't. It's not. I won't do it. It's just going to be me. Listen, I smile by default, okay? You put that along with me doing the purpose of God and the things that God has called me to do, I won't stop smiling. Mother Teresa said, holy living consists in doing God's work with a smile. You don't want to hear it from me. Hear it from her. That's not who I learned it from, but. <laughs> so smile. Look, you're smiling. This is the worst thing. Yeah, we're doing the, the work of God and the work that God has called us. And we're really going to be walking around disappointed, discouraged, super upset at the world. You know, like, ah, oh, it's, it's early. You know, I haven't had my coffee yet. Come on, man. You know, Jesus thought that spiritual maturity is never an end in itself. Because spiritual maturity is for ministry. It's for you to do the work that you're being called to do. For you to be better at the work that you're being called to do. It doesn't make you less productive in the kingdom of God. Instead, it would allow you to add to your abilities. You think spiritual maturity is for you. I get to spend more time with God now. My prayers are just deeper, and that's great, but it's also for the ministry. It's also for the serving of God and what you're being called to do in the story. I love what it says in there because most of us will fall at this idea. The guy with five bags, it says, you have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. That's what we want to hear, right? When we do a good job, you've done so great. Here's more. Let's celebrate together. <laughs> You're like, but I finished the job. I did it. You want to give me more? Yes. To the guy with two bags, what does it say? You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Again. Let's celebrate together. I think Mother Teresa wrote this one. No, I'm just kidding. Because, because maturity in ministry, maturity is for ministry. There's more where that came from. You know, you, you, you may sing a song. You may play an instrument. You may have a moment with a person, with a neighbor. You may have this time with someone where you feel like you've impacted their life, where God used you to share a word with somebody or be the right person for the moment. Guess what? There's more where that came from. Man, you've done so good at that, Moises. Here's a little bit more. You're like, man, I'm going to quit now. You better stop saying that. But that's how it works in this kingdom. Why? Because we grow up in order to give out. It's not enough to keep learning more and more. We must act on what we know and practice what we claim to believe. Sometimes we're depressed because we're holding it all in. Impression without expression causes depression. You're taking all this in. It's for a purpose. Let it out. There's a, there's a difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Okay, the Sea of Galilee is a lake full of life because what? It takes water and gives water 
The Dead Sea, no. The Dead Sea, nothing living in the Dead Sea because there's no outward flow of water. The lake has just become stagnant. And you wonder, maybe I feel miserable. You say I'm unique. You say I have giftings. You say I'm talented voices. You say I'm a $6 billion man. Why do I feel the way that I feel? And it's because maybe everything is flowing in and nothing is flowing out. And friends, the reality in all this topic is that doing nothing is the only problem. In verse 24, it says, Then the servants with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. He was afraid. I love this idea. The expression fear not is found 365 times in scripture. So how many days is God giving you to be afraid? Zero. Zero. We have a God that is in full control. And the truth of the matter is all of us will give account to God for what we've done with our stuff. Romans 14, 12 says, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Each, not the group, not the church. Moises, Rosie, Ben, all of us unique in our own way. The Bible says an account for what? In verse 29, it says, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from, from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Jesus teaches us an important principle about Christian's reward and position in heaven. What the follower of Christ received in the future kingdom of God will depend on how much they laid hold of and pursue God's purpose now. On the surface, it may seem unfair to you that the guy that already had 10 bags got more. You may say, that isn't, is that right? You know, and, and Jesus is making this general point that a Christian's reward in heaven will be a proportion to his or her commitment to God and faithfulness to use what he or she has been given, whether small or big, okay? One thing I know this morning is that no matter what's happening in your life, God has not mistaken your moment. Think about it. Think of your life right now. Good, miserable, okay. Just came out of Thanksgiving. It was all right. That one family member came or he didn't come. I believe that God hasn't mistaken your moment that there is nothing too bad you don't have or nothing good that you're missing. If God has called you, then I believe that time is perfect. The problem is, can you actually say you believe that? Because you may be sitting here today just wondering, I don't even know who I am, Moises. 
I'm just trying to be what I think I'm being called to be, but you may be missing the mark completely simply because it's what feels personally fitting for your current moment or your current season. And that may be the problem. You may be trying to be someone God is not calling you to be. My son taught me this a year ago. I, I was sitting in the, in, in the bathroom and we had this routine when he was four, we would have this routine and I would get ready for work in the morning and Bash and I, Sebastian, we call him Bash, we would have this routine constantly back and forth. And he would say, he would speak like a little caveman, right? So he would say, no work, no work, Papa, no work, no work, Papa, no work, no work, because he knows I was getting ready for work. He would say, no work, Papa, no work. And me being the smart and wise man that I am, I had this idea one day. And I looked at Sebastian and I said, Bash, I have to go to work. You know why? You see these lights? I said to him, I go to work, that's how the lights stay on. I said, you see that clothes you got on that you're wearing? Because I go to work, those lights stay, those clothes get put in your body. So you know what my little four-year-old did? He started taking off his clothes. And he started turning off the lights. Because that's not the dad he was wanting at that moment. You see that? There's nothing wrong with what I was telling my son at the moment. But if you, if you think of this in this scenario, you may be trying to be the person that God doesn't need in this season. You may be trying to be it, but it's right, voices. This is the right person to be. But it may not be the right person God wants in the moment. Peter was chosen by God and he too had setbacks in life. He was so bold in everything he did until he realized he was an unintended pretender in his life. He ends up denying Jesus three times. And you know what he does? He does what the majority of us do when things go south. We go back to what we used to do. And Jesus finds him fishing again because things just didn't work out. I just didn't meet the mark. I was so hard on myself. So Jesus meets him and one of the first people he goes to see is Peter. He says, let's go eat, they go eat. And that's when we have the interaction of Peter and Jesus, where, boy, where Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know that I do. Feed my sheep. It's in John chapter 21. Peter, do you love me? You God, you know that I do. And we all read this story and think, why is Jesus being so redundant? And it's, it's because there's two terminologies being used here. When Jesus says, do you love me? He's using the meaning of the word agape, which is an unconditional love. So he's pretty much saying to Peter, Peter, do you unconditionally love me? Okay. Peter replies back with the meaning phileo, which means a conditional love. Peter was in so much shame that when he responds to Jesus, I could see him putting his head down. Yes, you know that I do love you, Jesus. But it's conditionally because I'm a, I'm a screw up. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, feed my sheep. Then he asked him again, Peter, do you agape me? Jesus, you know I, I phileo you. Go and feed my sheep. 
and you're like, Jesus must be trying to get Peter to say agape. And when he gets it, then we can move on. But on the third statement, Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? And Jesus, and Peter says, you know I phileo you, Jesus. And he said, then go and do the work that I've called you to do. Jesus is looking for you to be the best, honest version of yourself that you can be. He hasn't missed time your moment. You're like, but I'm a screw up. Come on. Don't you think God knows that? I'm not justifying your screw up. I'm just telling you that if God is calling you to this time to serve, it's the right time. You say, God, but I love you conditionally. Go and do the work that I've called you to do. That may be the person everybody needs. You think everybody needs the perfect version of you. That's not who God is calling. God is calling you who you are today. He hasn't mistaken your moment. You have to learn to accept and learn who you are. And it'll change everything. It's funny because a person like Jesus, that Jesus who knew who he was, he literally defines himself 18 times in the New Testament. Tells people, I am the light of the world. Constantly def defining himself on who he is. There was no doubt in his mind who he was because trying to be someone you're not will cause you to stress yourself out. But God, I, I love you conditionally because I mess up all the time. But that's who God's calling you to be. Not the one that messes up, but the imperfect one that he could use for his glory to make an impact on the people around you. So here's, here's a charge for you. Sorry that I've gone a little bit here. God has not mistaken your moment. You may find yourself like Peter in a place this morning where you say, man, I, I missed it. I haven't met the mark that God said before. So why is God still dealing with you? Because you're still that valuable creation that he set forth to do the work that he's calling you to do. Setbacks are going to be setbacks and they're going to be there. But one thing I know for sure this morning is that God has not mistaken your moment. Amen? Bow your heads with me. I'm going to ask you a few questions. If you're here, I believe that there's purpose for everyone in here. You may be in a season of life where you have never given the opportunity for Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life. As we sit here today with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I would ask that if anyone in the room would like to say, Jesus, I know there's a life of purpose filled for me. I've never looked into that. I don't know what that looks like, but today I want to receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Look at me right where you're at. Just make eye contact with me. I'm not going to ask you to come up. Literally, make a commitment with God 
acknowledging and understanding what has taken place in your life today. I see you. Second, maybe you have made this commitment with God and you catch yourself fishing. You're in a moment where you say to yourself, man, God, I'm just out here because things just didn't go right for me. And you want to recreate or, or reconnect with God in a way where you kind of align your purposes back up again. And say, let's do this one more time. I'm ready, Lord. Look at me. I see you. I see you. God has not mistaken your moment. We're going to do a corporate prayer together the lives that have given their lives to God and those lives that have recommitted with God, we're going to repeat together. And you say, I don't have to repeat this. Yes, repeat it. Let's be with one another here in this moment. Because I believe that there's a lot of need in the room and I believe that God has spoken to a lot of people in the room and we got these sweaters on and it serve and serve, but it, it goes deeper than that. You were created for this, you were saved for this, and God has commanded you for this. So now let's pray and repeat after me, Jesus, I give you my heart. Lord, you know my deficiencies, my sin. I pray that you would forgive me. Help me to be a better servant, to bring honor to your name. In everything that I do, change the way I think. Allow me to use my time for you. I don't want to be the person I used to be. I wanted to be the person that you've called me to be. Thank you, God, for meeting me here and now. I love you and I give you praise. Amen. Would you give God praise this morning?